0: Hello everybody, Sukadeo here, and you're listening to Your Blank Year of Stories. As I said, I'm gonna be sorta, like, doing a bunch of uploads over the next couple of days. Um, <clears throat> let's think, do I have anything I can talk about? Um, not really. Um. I fell down. I fell down some stairs today. so It was sort of funny. So my mom had left a box on the stairs, and it was dark, so I didn't expect there to be a box. And I slipped on the box and fell down a couple stairs. And <laughs> my parents just heard a thud, and they were like, "What was that?" And my dad was like, "Probably some boxes that you left on the stairs." And my mom turned on the light and just saw me, like, splayed on a couple stairs. And was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, there was a box here that I slipped on. And my dad was like, well, that's when you should have turned the light on. And I was like, well, I didn't expect there to be a box. So, it was a moment. My toes hurt. Um, Moral of the story, don't fall down stairs, I guess. I mean, it's not the first time I've fallen down or upstairs. It just messaged. Dang! I sent in a Discord server, hey, anyone, well, any of y'all bitches alive, and someone replied, no, sorry. I mean, like, mood, but still. Anyway. don't know if that yawn picked up on Mike, but if it did, um, sorry about that. Um. <clears throat> I'm just gonna jump right in where we left off yesterday reading Happy Messy Scary Love by Leah Conan. Oh, they're going on a field trip tomorrow? Swag. Sorry. (laughs) So I'm just going to jump right in and get where we left off. And hopefully before I have to go to bed because I have school in the morning, I will be done with this episode. The Bad Decision Handbook. You could definitely set a horror movie here, that's for sure. I gaze out the window of my room, just after 11 a.m., the third morning of my Catskills skill's summer, and all I can see is trees and the light trickle of the stream that borders our property. The cottage is small, only two bedrooms plus the attic, one you reach reach by a drive that winds in the shape of a snake. It's got green slats on the outside and all sorts of wood on the inside, uneven planks on the floor, rough hewn beams on the ceilings. Last summer, I did my best to make this room mine, adding horror movie posters, knickknacks I picked up in town, and two coats of purple paint, which came out darker than I intended and only served to up the creep factor, which I secretly kind of love, despite my mom's attempts to get me to brighten it up with a lighter accent wall. If the horror movie... Were actually set here, a group of friends would arrive for vacation, or a reunion, or a weekend far away from their parents if they're teens, or their regular lives if they're in their thirties, or what have you. Only, and here's the kicker, there would be a deranged killer, either lurking in the woods, Friday the 13th, or maybe even inside, among the people who've gathered here, The Invitation. Or maybe there's not a human killer, maybe there's a body snatcher deep in the forest just waiting to take over one of the cabin's inhabitants, Honeymoon, or perhaps there are flesh-eating demons gearing up for their rise from the ground, the evil dead. Sometimes you'd even get them all, a mixed bag of horror movie tropes wrapped up into one delicious package, a cabin in the woods. Of course, here there are no monsters like that. Here there is only one presence casting shadows over me, the screenplay that's still waiting to be written. Even though I told myself I'd write every moment I could up here, yes, yesterday and the day before didn't exactly go as planned. I traded writing time for helping my parents get the house in order and accompanying, accompanying them to antique stores, finishing off each night with horror movies that skip endless, endlessly, given the slow internet. But today I'm going to change that. I have to. Groggy but determined to get in at least one line before noon, I open up my laptop and load my screenplay. The first thing I do is cut the mess of words I practically vomited onto the screen the day I submitted my NYU application, moving them to another document. I'll deal with that cluster later. For now, I'm starting back on the only thing that's even remotely decent. The first page. Interior cabin. Day. The cursor blinks mnemonically at me. A challenge. I rest my hands on the keyboard, ready to go, but my fingers tense up. I glance at the title of my screenplay, at the top of the page in capital letters, the Bad Decision Handbook. My stomach feels weighty as a brick and my eyes beg me to return to sleeping. The idea is there, in my head- The idea is there in my head, a satirical horror playing off all the bad decisions characters typically make in horror movies, but actually writing it, that's a different story. The longest cohesive thing I've ever written is an essay on Emily Bront. It was eight pages, double-spaced, and filled halfway up with Heathcliff Heathcliff quotes. Right now, walking out to the backyard, digging my own grave, and carving up a headstone that says she wanted to be a writer one day seems easier than typing even a single word into this damn document. I should be able to do this, do what every other writer in history has done and use my time away from it all to create something worthwhile, the whole Stephen King up in Maine thing. I stare at the cursor problem is, I'm not Stephen King. The blank page makes me feel frozen, like in one of those dreams where you can't move. Or in a horror movie, where the quaking main character knows that the killer is just around the corner, but they, for whatever inane reason, stand there, stock still, refusing to run. Or a Dracula audition, lines erased from my brain. I slam my laptop shut, push it aside, and get out of bed. "'Morning, sleepyhead,' my dad says as I walk into the kitchen, looking up from his iPad. "'He and my mom are sitting at the round walnut table, drinking coffee and taking in the view of the mountains from the front window, like they always do. "'The mountain air has got you sleeping, hasn't it?' "'The truth is, I spent half the night trying to watch a movie, but it took me almost three hours to get through it, because our janky internet kept skipping.' Once I finished, of course I had to chat to Elm about it, I finally signed off sometime after 3 a.m. The air is nice, I say, pouring coffee into my mug and adding a big splash of French vanilla creamer and three sugars. I make myself a bowl of cereal, then sit down between them, filching a piece of turkey bacon off my dad's plate. That said, the internet is slower than the R train. I was up half the night trying to get my movie to play. My mom crosses her arms and raises her eyebrows. Would you like to fix it? Miss, there's always something. I ignore her jab. Sure, I say, forcing, forcing a smile. I stir my cereal and take a bite. Take me to Best Buy and I'll get us a Wi-Fi signal booster. I'll go today if you'll go with me. Internet's fine for me, my dad says, tilting his iPad toward me. By the way, there's an article in Today's Times about the economics of independent cinema. You might want to check it out. Thanks, Dad, I say. I'll give it a read. I take another bite of cereal it's just it's different when you're streaming a movie than reading an article i could barely get anything to load last night my mom taps her spoon on the side of her cereal bowl almost like she's trying to hypnotize me like the mom in get out and come to think of it she probably is to somehow convince me to be the active hike loving ultra productive daughter she never had Chrissy is always telling me how my mom was always a go-getter, even when she was young, whereas Chrissy was the one who watched too much TV and drank too much light beer. I don't want to tell you what to do, but maybe you should spend a little less time on the internet. If I had a nickel for every time she's told me she doesn't want, want to tell me what to do and then proceeded to do exactly that, I could pay Jordan Peele to write the damn screenplay for me. I take another bite of cereal. And fill my time how? The job doesn't start for a little bit, right? Writing your screenplay, you idiot. The mom didn't say that. This is her thoughts. I'm saying that. I'm just clarifying. My parents exchange a look. Well, the thing is, my mom says, Marianne actually called this morning, saying she might need you sooner. I know I said it wouldn't be for a couple of weeks, and I know you want to work on your screenplay, but if you're up for it, she needs you. I stare at my cereal bowl. On the one hand, the thought of willingly subjecting myself to the zipline job, and earlier than necessary at that, seems hellish. But all the same, the last forty-eight hours have been… difficult. There's been nothing to do, I can barely even get a movie going, and the silence, the emptiness and stagnation of it all, it's weighing on me. My chats with Elm are bright spots, but though he does check in in during the day, the messages are few and far between. He's busy most days with his internship, already in full swing, and it's not until the evening that our chats kick into full gear. Plus, if I have something to do, I don't have to feel quite so bad that I'm not making any progress on my screenplay. Okay, I say. I guess I can start earlier. I mean, if she really needs me. Perfect, my mom says, clasping her hands together. Marianne says you can come in for training this afternoon. <clears throat> Fresh meat. As a reward for my flexibility, my parents make the twenty nine minute drive down to Best Buy to get the signal booster, ensuring I'll be able to actually watch Elm's wrecks after my zip lining chips. Oy. Afterward, we go by Target, stop stocking up on shorts and tees and comfy sorts of things to wear to my new place of employment. We stop for a bite at this breakfast-all-day place in Woodstock the three of us are obsessed with. And after walking around town a bit, past galleries I won't be interning for, the record store that my dad's can't pass without a stop, and the housewares shop where everything looks like it came out of a photo shoot about living in the mountains, it's one thirty. Time to go. My training shift starts at 2.00 scheduling wise i have to admit it's kind of perfect elm works from 11 to 6 most days and since i never act exactly disabused him of the notion that i'm at the nyu program i've been careful not to be too quick to reply to his chats when i'm supposed to be in class or workshopping or doing one of the, ama- the other amazing things i might have been doing this summer we get up the mountain roads easily even taking the back way My dad goes on the whole time about how wonderful it is to have all-wheel drive. I swear to God, if he could choose between a Porsche and our Subaru, he'd choose the latter. Eventually, we we reach Hunter's Main Street, speckled with ski shops and pizza joints. We turn, climbing up the road until we reach reach a large building that must be the lodge, with huge windows and an undulating roof that mirrors the curve of the mountains behind it. My mom points ahead. Marianne said to go to that building just next to the lodge. Who do I ask for? Is Ann there today? Not sure, my mom says with a shrug. I'm sure you'll figure it out, though. Have a great first day, my dad says as I grab my backpack and step out of the car. We'll be back at six to pick you up. I approach the door of the building my mom pointed to, but she has to be wrong. It looks like a ski shop closed down for the winter. Discount jackets and knit beanies. I turn back, scanning the parking lot, but our—but the Subaru is already gone. I pull out my phone. Two, it's 201. Shit. I walk to the left, toward the lodge, but the buildings are similarly empty. 203. Double shit. Here I am, already late for my first shift of a job my mom got me as a favor. I quickly return to the sad abandoned ski shop, dark and foreboding. foreboding. The tense stillness of a setting right before all hell breaks loose. I pull on the handle. It's locked. What are you doing? I jump. Turning, I spot a girl about my age, maybe a little older. Her red hair has been looped into French braids that hug her scalp and land on her shoulders. She's got a nose ring and a row and rows of studs crawling up her left earlobe. Her hazel eyes are rimmed in dark coal liner, and freckles cover almost every inch of her face and arms. She looks like a punk rock pippy long stocking. She's wearing a zipline experience t-shirt, no less than four carabiners hanging off the belt loops of her jean shorts, and a walkie-talkie beeps from her hip. Sorry, I... She crosses her arms, trying to break into the ski shop, load up on nylon gloves. No... The girl bursts into cackling laughter, tossing her head back like some kind of cartoon villain. She stops, abruptly. Sorry, I'm an ass. Are you Olivia? Yeah, how did you- Come on, she says, walking past me. I follow, and it's easy to keep up. She walks much slower than I do, than anyone in Brooklyn does. You're looking for the check-in office, right? I think so. It's right around here, she grins. We've been looking forward to your arrival. Looking forward to your arrival? I have want to tell her that she sounds like the bad guy in a movie. I mean, come on. That's the kind of line I'd find way too cheesy to ever put in a script, given that it's basically dripping with impending peril. The kind of line that would have popped into my head anyway and paralyzed me with writer's block. "'Er, you have?' I ask as we round the corner. Approach a door with a sign above. Zip line check in here.' Of course we have, the girl continues. Apart from one new guy, it's the same exact crew as last summer, and we're desperate for fresh meat. Fresh meat. There she goes again. It would be fun to set a horror movie at a zipline course, come to think of it. So many options. Some Sasquatch-style monster living up in the mountains, or a maniacal killer sabotaging the safety equipment, or everyone trapped in the abandoned ski lodge, doors locked, wondering who the killer could be. That's what Elm would do, if he were going to ride it. There'd be some accident on the course. They'd be gathered in the lodge. The power would go out and the doors would lock from the inside. And only then would they realize that the accident hadn't been an accident at all. That the killer lurked among them, wearing the same Zipline Experience t-shirt and carabiners as everyone else. The girl pauses outside the door. I'm Steinway, by the way, she says. Steinway? It's my last name, like the piano, which I also play. She tosses her head back in laughter again. Oh boy, you already think I'm way too much. I shake my head. No, not at all. She smiles and opens the door. Follow me. Inside, the place is nothing like the ski shop. The room echoes with voices, with groups of kids and adults, people on vacation or at least on vacation for the day. Steinway walks through r- rows of t-shirts and gear for sale too. Sale to a wraparound check in desk in the back. She hinges up the corner of the desk and lets herself in. I follow. There's a guy at the counter, typing into a computer caked with dust. You can put your bag and stuff here, she says, opening one of the cabinets. I toss in my things and she hands me a clipboard. Oh, and sign this. Just your basic waiver. Now, let me find you a t shirt. She kneels down, opening and shutting cabinet doors. Clipboard in hand, I gaze at the line of people, then back at the counter guy. Does he need help? Steinway shakes her head. They're all going on the 2.30 tour. Tennyson Tennyson will check them in. There's time, my friend. Plenty of time. Okay, I say. I scribble my signature on the waiver, not reading it too closely, but sure that if I massively fall to my death out there, it will not be Zipline Experience's fault at all. Then I shove my hands into my pockets, not quite sure what to do. Tennyson is tall and and skinny, has to be at least at least six foot five, with hair that looks like it hasn't been washed in a mile and a bandana tied around his neck. If I'm not mistaken, he smells the teeniest bit like weed. Not that I ever smoke, but I've come to recognize the scent from walking around Brooklyn. Aha, Steinway says. Medium okay? It might be a little roomy, but it's all I have. She hands it to me, and I pull it over my tank top. It is roomy, but now at least I don't stick out like a sore thumb. Tennyson, this is Olivia. She says, even though he looks way too busy to bother with me. Still, he turns around. Olivia, our new recruit, come to spice up the boredom of always having the same old gang, and a lady, no less, to balance out our demographic. Demographics. We need more ladies up in here, am I right? Steinway rolls her eyes. That's sexist. It's sexist to want more women? How? She shrugs. I don't have the time to educate you right now, but you sound like an idiot. Tennyson sticks out his hand anyway. Tennyson here. Like the Lord. Lord Alfred. The poet. We get it, Steinway says. Anyway, most people call me Ten. Half since I was a kid. Can't mess with perfection, I guess. Half of me feels like I need to switch up my name just to have something to say when I introduce myself. Olivia, but you can call me Liv. Liv Livy. Via? No. Olivia, but you can call me Carrie, like my favorite people do. Tennyson. Ten? Goes on. And don't listen to Steinway. She's happy to have more ladies as well. Right, Steinway? The girl, for the first time, turns red. Her freckles almost disappearing, but she quickly recovers. You're an idiot, she says. Come on, Olivia. Let's get away from this bureaucratic check-in bullshit and onto the real stuff. The main course is amazing. Hope you're not afraid of heights. I swallow, my throat suddenly tights and follow behind her. Whatever my mom once thought, she certainly can't accuse me of wasting away now. Elm Street Nightmare We walk down a wide hallway and toward a door that reads emergency exit only. I can't help it. I imagine the camera shot, the open, empty corridor, a, flu- a fluorescent light fl- flickering, making an awful sound you can't tune out, like David Lynch is always doing in Twin Peaks and the like. Not a girl or a guy, or maybe both, running down the hallway. You don't know who's behind them, but you know someone is. Hell, maybe that's the way I opened the screenplay. Not with them arriving at a cabin. Not with my bullshit line about monsters in Shadow Lake. But with them running down a cavernous hallway. The viewer dying to know how in the world they got there. and me, knowing. Me, discovering along the way. All in meteor res, like my English teacher was always going on about. "'Who knows? Maybe I'll even add a character who plays the piano. "'Someone friendly and easygoing, but with a little bit of a secret you don't find out until later. "'I feel a tingle in my fingers, the tingle I always get when I have a good idea. "'Steinway walks toward the door and pushes. "'Nothing happens. No sound at all. "'The sign no more than a weak deterrent for visitors trying to use the wrong door. "'Immediately, we're back into the daylight. "'God, it's freaking beautiful.' Out here, you can't see any buildings, only mountains. But it's not like the mountains you see from our house, all far away and in the distance, etched into the horizon like a painting. This is different. The mountains are right here, demanding to be noticed, to be appreciated. Ski lifts run lazily, carting people up the mountain. In front of us, some sort of rope rope course tower looms, kids playing on it, their laughter spilling down like droplets of water. The sun is high, and the sky is oh so blue, and it feels like, it's crazy, but it feels like when I wandered down to the East River on my own to look at all of Ma- all of Manhattan's, Manhattan stretched before me. Like, it's not the middle of nowhere, it's the middle of everything. I remember this feeling last summer, when we first got to the house, got the house. Only I've been so distracted by the NYU drama this year, it's like I totally forgot about it. You have to excuse Tennyson, Steinway says. I swear to God it's like he's never been around a buy girl before. I shake my head. That's what he meant, kind of offensive, no, Steinway adjusts her braids. He doesn't mean to be a dick, really, or else I've grown numb to numb to it, but yeah, totally inappropriate. You get used to it, I guess. I swear he thinks one of these days I'm going to tell him he's the tall stoner I've always been dreaming of. I laugh, and Steinway presses a button on her walkie. Steinway to Jake. Come in, Jake. There's a grumble of static and then a beep. Go ahead, go ahead, Steinway. Hold 2.30 for Newbie. Head Skyward for FF. Over. Roger that. Over. Steinway presses another button. Over and out. I stare at her as we keep walking, more than a little impressed. She somehow managed to make this whole thing sound like some sort of covert op. Skyward is that? I point at the ski lift about 50 yards ahead. Deductive reasoning, Steinway says. Good. FF? First flight. Well, first flight here, for training, to be more precise. Anyway, you don't have to use the lingo. It just helps us pass the time. You've worked at a zip line place before, right? I shake my head. She walks towards the rope toward the rope tower but again her gait is slow and easy like there's no rush no rush at all even if jake whoever he is is holding the group for us or summer camp or anything nuh-uh she pauses and turns one hand on her hip but you've been to summer camp done the whole zipline thing right i scratch at the back of my neck the sun so majestic suddenly feels too bright Like I can't keep any secrets. Or maybe it's Steinway, who doesn't seem like she has much of a tolerance for bullshit. Like she could see right through it. Not exactly. I'm not from around here. I live in Brooklyn. She laughs. How did you get this job anyway? Now it's my turn to blush. Nepotism. Steinway bursts into into that cackling laughter once again. Oh my god, I love you already. I feel that tingle in my fingers again, but this time it's not because I've had a mini breakthrough on the screenplay that will never be. It's the same tingle I got when I first met Katie, when we found ourselves in the cafeteria cafeteria at Xavier and High. Two of the only two of the only new people new to the whole parochial school thing. We were public school girls, all through middle school, PS 170 and PS 185 respectively. We didn't come from the same schools as everyone else did. Meeting Katie was like finding an ally, someone who gives you that feeling, like they can see you, really see you, for who you are. It's the feeling I get every time I hang out with Chrissy, and the feeling I get when I talk to Elm. Sometimes, all you want in the world is to be seen like that. Sometimes, it feels impossibly hard. My mom knows Marianne, the owner, I say, from way back when, I guess. I haven't even met her. She's great, Steinway says. Everyone's great. Even Tennyson, when he's not being an idiot, she points up the rope, up to the rope tower. All right, so since you're not an experienced guide or whatever, you'll most likely be running the check-in desk like Tennyson is today. But you'll sometimes be in charge of supervising Ropeland, our name for the tower. It's mainly for kids who aren't tall enough to do the zip line. There will always be one of us up there, actually leading them through it. That guy up there is Joe. He helps out here occasionally. Anyway, mainly you just stand at the bottom and blow the whistle if anyone gets rowdy or tries to go up when it's not their turn yet. Occasionally, one of the instructors might need your help with something, but for the most part, you just chill. Got it? I feel a tickle of relief in my stomach, so I won't be up on some platform in the middle of a forest sending people flying into the air. I can handle this. I can definitely handle this. I gaze up at the tower, about as tall as a small apartment building. My stomach aches just looking at it, but I tell myself it's not a big deal. I can totally help out up there if an instructor needs me. Can't I? It's not often that anyone needs help, anyway, so don't worry too much. Come on. We walk past the ropes course and toward the ski lift. There's a line. The Steinway walks to the front. A girl is standing there, in the same t-shirt as us, clipping, chipping red paint off her nails and occasionally looking up at the line in front of her. Cora, this is the new girl. Olivia. Olivia? Cora. I'm going to take her up. Show her the course. Roger, Cora says, still chipping away at her nail. Then she lifts her head, calling out to the crowd of people. Hold the line. We walk in front of everyone, and in seconds, a seat swings around, thunking at our thighs, and Steinway is pulling the bar down, the ground no longer beneath us. We're floating up the mountain. I steal a quick glance down, and my stomach does a somersault. I've been on the ski lifts before, but I've never liked them. Why aren't there seat belts for one thing? Why don't the bars go all the way across? So many questions. Cora's cool, but she's a little low-key right now because she just broke up with her long-term boyfriend, Steinway says. She, for some reason, thought they were going to get married. She- Ugh. Don't know that person. Um, she's only 21, but alas. Steinway's feet dangle back and forth as we continue up and up. Christ, you look kind of green. You don't get motion sickness, do you? I shake my head. Afraid of heights? "'Well, no. You're not serious. You have to be kidding.' "'Not totally afraid,' Steinmay raises her eyebrows. "'Why are you here again?' "'For a second, I almost think I can tell her, up here on our bench in the sky, "'where nothing else really matters, "'that I failed at finding my own plan for the summer "'and that my mom was left scraping through her contacts to find something for me to do. "'Then I lose my nerve. "'I told you,' I say. "'Nepotism.' Another laugh, more chuckle than cackle this time. Well, just try not to think about the distance between us and the ground too much, I guess. She pauses, and so does the lift. Our bench keeps swinging, and my stomach turns. The lift starts back up, this time with a jolt. Today's going to be a baptism by fire, Steinway continues. What do you mean? Marianne likes all the newbies to do a zip line course. It's usually considered a perk, but... P- Because most people like ziplining. Most people who opt to spend their summer working at at a zipline park, at least. Another raised eyebrow. So anyway, you'll get used to it. I could make up something to tell Marianne, but it will only be delaying the inevitable. She's going to want you to do it. I shake my head. It's okay, I say. I'll do it. (coughs) Sorry. Sorry. comfort zone i remind myself this is about getting out of my stupid comfort zone i'm sure nothing will happen no final destination moment that sends me flying my body crushing into a cavern bones crunching the lift quickly approaches the summit of the mountain steinway lifts the bar over our heads hop off in three okay one two three the seat practically pushes us off and my feet once again connect with ground up here it's not so bad The mountain is big and wide, no different from the ground below. It's not like I'm standing at the edge of a cliff or anything. Plus, Steinway is incredibly cool, and I already feel like I can be myself here. This is good. One go with the zip line, and I won't even have to deal with heights again. I'll just check people in and occasionally supervise the ropes course. I can do this. I know I can do this we walk about 50 yards ahead toward a guy who's standing his back to us the same walkie-talkie connected to his hip a crowd of people has already gathered around him must be the others on the tour i can do this just don't think too much like steinway said jake's also newish she says as we get closer <coughs> I'm going to take the lift back down, but he can get you all set up for the tour. You'll be going with the 2.30 group. Jake, she calls as we reach him. This is Olivia. She's going to do the 2.30 with you. From the back, I can see that he's tall, shoulders wide, hair curly and unkempt. He turns, and I stop, frozen to the spot, my heart beating wildly. The curly hair, the eyes, wide and kind and familiar, taking me in. Me. Who he doesn't recognize, who he wouldn't recognize, couldn't recognize. I very much recognize him. Hi, Olivia, he says. Welcome. He sticks out his hand. I stick out mine, too. Hi, I manage, though my head is spinning, my brain struggling to compute, to comprehend. Jake, the guy I'm looking at, the guy who's going to lead me on a tour through the trees. Jake is Elm. Onyx. You're asking me to go out on my own, jump headfirst into the great unknown with a psychopathic serial serial killer on the loose? Isn't that a bad decision? Jimmy. Exactly. The bad de- from the bad decision handbook by O-Knight. First flight. Ready to zip fly? Elm, I mean, Jake, asks. Uh, I say, suddenly unable to form a proper sentence. (coughs) It can't be Elm. Elm is interning at an indie film thing with his cool aunt. Elm has never mentioned upstate New York, not even once. Elm doesn't exist in this world, mine. Then I remember, in a flash, he said he was going up north. Still, it can't be. North is huge. Like ten states, at least. Maybe Canada. Even upstate New York is a ma- is massive, filled with so many places that aren't here. And he never talked about ziplining, only his internship. I racked my brain, trying to remember exactly what the photo looked like, desperate to pull up Reddit on my phone and check. But I can't. Even if that weren't rude as fuck. My phone's not on me. It's back at the at the check-in office in my backpack in the cabinet. "'Don't worry about her,' Steinway says. "'She hasn't ziplined before. "'She's just a little nervous.' "'Never ziplined and working at a ziplining company? "'I love it,' Elm Jake says. "'Right?' Steinway says. "'Bold, this one.' "'Steinway turns to me. "'I'm going to go help Tennyson with the next round of check-ins. "'You should be finished by 4.30. "'Come back down and find me when you're done.' "'Yeah, she can show you the rest of the ropes.' Jake says. A pause and then Steinway laughs, elbowing him lightly in the ribs. Dude, any more dad jokes and I'm going to start calling you Freddy again. Jake shakes his head but laughs along with her and Steinway turns to me. Anyway, you good? I nod, even though I'm not good. Not at all. I thought I'd do one or two zip lines, but two hours worth? The prospect is terrifying. Not to mention, if Elm Jake is really both Elm and Jake... No, I tell myself. He can't be. It's not possible. Elm is toiling away at some film collective somewhere. Vermont, maybe. Elm is placing elaborate Starbucks orders for indie directors, carrying cardboard trays of paper cups. Elm is not the guy standing in front of me, waiting for me to answer Steinway's question. "'Of course. I'm great,' I say, laying it on a little thick. Steinway narrows her eyes. Maybe too thick. "'Er, I'll come find you when I'm done,' I tell her, my face going hot.' Perf, she says, then turns on her heel and saunters away. <coughs> All right, let's get you a harness, Elm Jake says. Or is it Jake Elm? Which is the real him? Damn it, which is the real me? Am I Olivia Carey or Carey Olivia? Stop it, I tell myself. You're making this more complicated than a Christopher Nolan steam screenplay. Side note, Memento was a great horror, horror movie. I glance around. The crowd of people are waiting for me, of course. Are waiting for me. Of course they are. Steinway said so herself on the walkie. Yeah, I say. Let's harness up. Jake, whom I will for- refer to as just Ake. Jake. Jesus Christ. At least until I've had a chance to double check- grabs a harness from the pile that sits at his feet. He kneels down and holds it out. Go ahead, step in. I'm reminded of Katie's dog, Cooper, the way Katie holds out the harness for the little brown thing. I do, and he shimmies it up my legs, around my thighs, being extra careful not to let his hand brush my skin, even the tiniest bit. Once it's up, he begins clipping buckles. One of his hands has the slightest shake to it. He's nervous. Why? Then I remind myself. He's new, too. He looks up, smiling briefly, then fastens the last buckle and begins to pull at the straps, making everything super tight. I look down. My semi-cute jean shorts has taken on the look of a denim diaper, bunched up and squished just so. Jake gives a final to the stra- tug to the straps and, and, hands still now, he hooks on a carabiner, which connects to a silvery rope and another carabiner, twisting them both so the levers and exposed. There's no way that can come undone, right? I ask. No way, he says, smiling at me again. Then he gives the harness a few tugs that make the short situation somehow even more awkward than before. Safety first. That's what my pop-pop says. He smiles, but then looks away, almost bashful. Now you just need a helmet. He begins digging through his pile and comes up with an electric yellow one. I put it on, but it's way too tight. I hand it back to him. Sorry, but my head's kind of big. He laughs. No biggie. I pause, staring at him, trying to figure this situation out. "'I know, I know,' he says. Dad jokes. I'll stop. It's not his cheesy humor. It's only that I wish my head were more normal size, like Katie's. Even more, I wish I hadn't sent that photo of her. I wish I could wrap my supersized head around what is really going on right now. Have I stepped into a parallel universe, all Twin Peaks, Red Room kind of thing? And in this universe, the wildest coincidences are entirely possible?' The wildest coincidences are right here in front of me, digging around for an extra large helmet. Here, Jake says. This one might work. It does. I clip it tight, and Jake has a smile. A smile that looks exactly like the one in the photo he sent me. Still, their nerdy glasses are missing. One tick mark in the Jake is not Elm category. Besides, the world is full of doppelgangers. Just the other day, I got stopped outside of the downtown Brooklyn Target and a girl swore up and down we'd met at Bandcamp camp in Vermont. It's too big of a coincidence. It can't be him. He's just an attractive and a little awkward new coworker who's seen me in a denim diaper and knows my head is about three sizes too large. Then I see it, glinting in the bright mountain sunlight. The scar. A little ridge right under his left eye, just like in the photo. All right, 2.30, he yells. Welcome to the New York Zipline Experience. Are you ready to zipline? A chorus of claps and woohoos. I can't hear you, he calls. Are you ready to zipline? He sounds like a pro, even though he's new. I wonder briefly if he's worked at a place like this before. The chorus grows louder, and I make my way to the side. First, a uh, few safety things, Jake says. Never, I repeat, never try to unhook or adjust your equipment on your own. Second, he continues on, delivering a verbal disclaimer, but his words turn soupy in my head. Jake is Elm, standing here in front of me, some way, somehow. Okay, 230, let's do this, Jake says, eyes flitting around the space, as if making sure everyone's listening. He shifts his weight ever so slightly, from foot to foot. "'Follow me,' he says, after just a beat too long, "'and we walk across the grass and toward a cluster of trees. "'It's crisp up here, despite being the thick of summer, "'the mountain air a hell of a lot more pleasant than the air in Brooklyn in June. "'As we approach, I see a wooden platform, "'the shiny silver rope that must be our first zip line. "'Bryson is watching for you guys just on the other side,' Jake Jake turns, "'giving a large wave to the dude who must be Bryson. "'Who wants to go first? An older woman, who has to be at least 65, steps up. Just in front of me, a girl my age cheers. Go, Grandma! (laughs) I thought I could deliver that perfectly without laughing at it, but that- Go, Grandma, go! Woo-yeah, boomer! I'm- I hate myself. I'm so sorry. Why am I like this? Um. Jake grabs the lady's carabiner and hooks it onto the rope above, then twists it and gives it a tug. Ready? He asks. Hell yes! She shouts. Put your hands here, Jake says, showing her where to hold her rope, and then you're good to go. She takes a deep breath and then, just like that, jumps off the platform, a high-pitched wail of thrill echoing through the canopy of trees. Next, Jake calls. I hang out in the back, staring at my carabiners, wondering if they can break, as each of the other people in the group goes ahead of me. I suppose getting crushed into the bottom of a mountainous ravine is one way to fulfill my parents' desire for me to get out of my comfort zone. Finally, I'm the only one left. Lucky number 11, Jake says. Isn't it lucky number 7? I ask, feeling like I really do need luck right now. All the luck I can get. Jake shrugs. Jake shrugs. It rhymes, at least. Another bad joke, I suppose. He smiles, instantly calling that photo back to mind. But come on, let's do it. I step up onto the platform, feel sweat beginning to pour from beneath my helmet. Jake's eyes catch mine, and for an instant, his own awkwardness fades away. Wow, he says, his voice voice soft, eyes wide with concern. You really are worried, aren't you? I know it's stupid, I say. I know that it's safe and you double-checked everything. It's just... I gulp. It's the height thing. Heights thing. I don't know. My face goes hot and suddenly, inexplicably, I half want to cry. Here I am, the girl who watches horror movies on the reg, sees women and men fight back against their attackers, outsmart their killers, face down their biggest fears, and yet I can't even get on a zipline, one that a grandmother just did, no problem at all. "'Hey,' Jake says, putting his hand on my arm, my skin turning warm at his touch. "'Hey, you're shaking. It's okay.' "'I know.' "'He holds me steady. No, I mean, it's okay to be scared. "'This is going to sound stupid, and I can't believe I'm even telling you this, "'but I used to be deathly afraid of the dark.' "'I laugh weakly. When you were five, "'His hand drops down from my arm, and he stares at the ground.' "'When I was fourteen, he says sheepishly. "'I almost had a panic attack when the lights went out at a middle school dance. "'You're messing with me,' I say. "'He looks up, then. "'I wish. "'I guess you should never be a movie theater usher." then,' he laughs. "'And I guess you shouldn't work at a zipline company. "'Oops. Too late.' "'We both laugh, then. "'It won't be as bad as you're imagining,' he says. "'Besides, I only sleep with a nightlight like one out of two nights these days.' I burst out laughing. Hey, I landed one, he says. You did. He tilts his head to the side. Are you okay to do this? I nod. I can try. All you've got to do is step off that platform. The equipment does the rest. Okay, I say. Here, he says. Or if it's not too weird, take my hand. I do, and it's warm. And we walk up to the platform together, and it's so strange, because I've been talking with him for months, and I felt like I knew him so well. But in a weird way, it's like none of it compares to us holding hands right now, how much you can learn about someone in just one touch. Don't look down, he says, only up. He gives my hand a squeeze, and I squeeze back, and for a second, I feel only safety, because he's here with me. Ready? He asks when we've neared the edge. I'm going to stop forcing you to hold my hand now, but I'll be right behind you. I don't want to do it. I want to turn around and take the ski lift down, tell anyone who will listen that I'm quitting on the spot. I want to go back to Brooklyn and my old, predictable life. Only I don't have that chance, have a choice now. I'm up here, all hooked in, and I promised my parents I would give this a shot. I have to, for them and for me. I take a deep breath. I unclasp my hand from his, and I look up, not down, at the sky, blue and beautiful. "'You got this,' I hear behind me. "'I've got this,' I tell myself. "'I'm not going to be afraid anymore. "'I'm not going to be stuck. Eyes "'Eyes locked straight ahead, I take a step. "'Like that, the ground is gone from beneath me. "'The air is whooshing around me. "'The line is buzzing above me, metal on metal, "'and the sky is everywhere, open and welcoming and complete.' I'm flying. Freddy. My heart is still beating fast, a feeling of elation, of freedom, freedom, running through my blood as Bryson helps unhook me. He's short and stocky, with a shaved head and tattoos snaking up and down his arms. We stand, untethered, on a wooden platform that connects to another wooden platform via a rickety rope bridge. I pause, looking around me. I did it. I freaking did it. I went for it, and it didn't blow up in my face. No flubbing up in application. No stumbling over lines. I flew. Now to just tackle the rope bridge ahead of me that looks as if it wants to fall apart at any minute. How was it? Jake asks, stepping onto the platform and unhooking himself. Good, I say. Awesome, actually. Though, to be totally honest, the bridge over there is another story. Right? Jake asks as he ambles up to me. I've only been here a week, and I already hate that bridge. Heights or no, it gives me the willies. But, far as I know, no one has died. I feel a chill crawl up my spine. Relax, he says, as he reads the look on my face. I was only kidding. I do that, if you've noticed. I laugh. Really? I missed that. He laughs, too. Seriously, this place doesn't mess around with safety. I promise. I watch as Bryson helps the group of zip-liners cross, one by one. It's slow going, and I have a minute alone with Jake as we make our way toward the group. Thanks, I say, for helping me back there. I was right, right? It wasn't as bad as you imagined? I shake my head, reaching out to steady myself on a tree. Yeah, it was kind of amazing, actually. He beams. I knew you would like it. My eyes land on his scar again. Proof, staring right back at me. Still, I want to hear it from his mouth. I want to find a way to ask him, to hint at our conversations without giving myself away. I need code lingo, like Steinway on her walkie. I look straight ahead. About half the group has crossed the bridge. Something subtle. If I can throw myself off a cliff, surely I can ask him a question about his life. So, do you like movies? I ask. Immediately, I want to chastise myself, palm to forehead. Only I'm afraid if I make any sudden movements, I'll lose my footing and fall to my death, even though the edge of the platform is still several feet away. Jake only laughs. I do, he says. I do indeed. Horror? I ask. It's stupid. So obvious. All my cards revealed at once, but I want to hear it from him. Jake's mouth forms a grin. How did you know? My heart thumps in my chest. How did I know? I've been chatting with you since March. Hey, old friend. I sent you a pic of my best friend because I was not hashtag face goals that day, you asked. What would Meryl do? Only makes sense if you're as cool, popular, and easygoing as someone like Meryl. Hi, my name is Olivia, and I'm a horrorholic. Thus I know you from the Reddit horror community we both frequent. I just... Oh, yeah... Jake says, Steinway threatening me with her dumb nickname. Nickname? Right, I say, racking my brain for what it was. (laughs) It hits me just as he says it. See, I made the mistake of telling her, early on, that my favorite movie is A Nightmare on Elm Street. So she started calling me Freddy, for Freddy Krueger. Only I made her stop because Freddy is a super weird name. I swear to God I feel the blood drain from my face. "'Oh, shit,' he says. "'Your dad's not named Freddy, is he? I'm sorry.' "'No,' I say, forcing a smile. "'No, I don't know anyone named Freddy.' "'That's relief,' he says, scratching at the bottom of his chin. "'Anyway, if she were going to give me a movie-inspired nickname, it should be Elm. "'That's my handle on Reddit anyway.' He grins sheepishly. Sorry, nerd alert. I swallow, my breath shallow, and suddenly I feel like I can't move. It's really him. I mean, I knew it was him. I recognized his face. I saw his scar. But still, holy shit, it's really him. No freakishly similar doppelganger with a freakishly similar scar. Just Jake. Just Elm. Only merged into one. Standing in front of me, confused. What is it, he asks. You look, I don't know, surprised. Tell you the truth, I thought I was giving off pretty solid nerd vibes already. For a second, I want to confess everything. That it's me, Carrie, and I love horror as much as he does. And I have new recommendations for him that I can deliver in person now instead of online. I want to tell him that it's serendipitous, almost, the way we've been thrown together like this. Like Jigsaw in the Saw movie, someone pulling the strings. Only not in such a gruesome and nefarious way. Only how in the world do I explain why I lied to him in the first place? I could say I was having a shit day. I could say I know I shouldn't have ever sent him Katie's photo or let him think I was going to NYU. But how? My tiny little lies have caught up to me in a way I couldn't possibly have imagined. They've grown much, much bigger overnight. Come on, you guys, Bryson calls from the other side of the bridge, the whole group having crossed while I stood here trying to figure out what the hell to say to Jake. "'Guess we should get over there,' Jake says. "'Yeah, we probably should,' I say. "'He steps a little closer and smiles. "'I know, I know. It's the horror movies, right? "'Most people think if you're into horror, "'you have to be some kind of death-obsessed loser. "'Hopefully you won't judge me too hard on that, "'since we only just met.' "'I don't think that. I would never think that.' "'She didn't say that. She thought that. "'Gotta clarify sometimes. "'Let me guess. Horror isn't your thing?' Jake says.' It's cool. Promise. A lot of people aren't into it. My breath catches in my throat. I want to tell him, to tell him everything. But I feel so high from jumping off that zip line, from something finally working out. I don't want this good feeling to come crashing down. I'm scared to reveal even a hint of the truth, lest he figures it all out. I make a staff decision, just like I did jumping off that cliff. Only this time, I double down. Nah, I force it out, my heart already aching at the lie is not really my thing. Why, bro, bro? <sighs> Hang on, I'm just checking something. Um. Okay, um, I'm going to finish this tomorrow, which won't be the same episode for you, but you know, you how it be sometimes. It's the next day and I'm going to finish recording this episode. Well, same episode for you, but for me, next day. So, I've said this so many times, why do I still feel the need to clarify? The Bad Decision Handbook Part 2. Looks like you got some sun, my dad says as soon as I get into the car. We'll have to load up on SPF 50 for the rest of the summer. My mom, meanwhile, is just staring at me. No bullshit, as usual. How was it? She's not speaking this, she's thinking it. Well, Mom, I've begun living a double life. See, the boy I've been secretly messaging and chatting with for months, but haven't told you about because it was too embarrassing, is inexplicably working here too. So now I have to pretend I'm someone I'm not so he doesn't realize I've felt too crappy about myself to send him a photo. I'm officially a catfisher now. Yay! Won't be featured on a Netflix documentary any day now. Olivia? She asks. It wasn't that bad, was it? I know the heights thing, but- "'No, Mom,' I say, forcing a laugh. "'It was great, actually. Everyone was super nice. "'And I did the zip line and didn't even freak out. "'Well, I only freaked out a little bit, at least, at the beginning. "'I actually really liked it. "'The smiles on the both of them, like they won the lottery or something.' "'I smiled, too, because what I said is true. "'It was awesome. Surprisingly so. "'Steinway is cooler than I could have imagined.' Everyone was chill, and I did it. I stepped off that ledge. And for once, I stopped being scared. Stopped letting that damn Dracula audition define me. For once, I felt like me again. The whole double life thing is just a blip on the radar. It was still a good day. Er, thanks for hooking me up. My mom laughs. Anytime. As I... As we pull out of the parking lot, I check my phone for the first time. It's a Reddit message from Elm, sent around 2 p.m., just as my shift was starting. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Hey, Carrie, what's up? I stare at it, briefly. At first, it's strange, reconciling the witty guy who's been in my inbox for months with the semi-awkward dude making dad jokes on the zipline course. And then, all at once, it's not. Queen of the quizzically terrifying, justice of jump scares, all that. He's the same guy, cheesy humor and all, only his humor plays better on the internet, just like mine does. I want to write him back, talk to him like I always do, but instead, I tap out of the message. Even though I'm safely in the car, it feels too risky to respond right here, as if he'll somehow know the geographic location of my response. So I shut the phone deep into my backpack, into a zippered pocket, as if I could shut it all away. On the way home, we stop at the German sausage and meat place my parents like to hit up when we grill outside. We take a number, and women in traditional dresses fill paper bags with bratwurst, kielbasa, and smoked pork ribs. Back at our house, Dad lights up the Weber- Weber? 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 I don't know. I don't know grill we keep, in the, we keep in the yard, and for a couple of hours, I put today's parallel universe weirdness out of my mind. We sit on the porch and eat our sausages and ribs, scooping potato salad and coleslaw out of plastic containers. Chrissy texts me, asking how it was. I give her the rundown, and we banter for a bit. The air is cool and the sun is setting, casting the sky with pinks and purples, turning the mountains a darker shade of blue, and for a little bit, it's perfect. As if a as I'm helping my parents finish the dish dishes, my phone buzzes in my pocket. I finish up, dry off my hands, and there it is—another message from Elm. Elm Street Nightmare Eighty Four. Hey, stranger! Didn't hear from you all day. My silent senses earlier messages is definitely messages message is definitely unusual. I'm going to go to my room. I announce to my parents who are enmeshed in choosing their documentary for the evening. "'Watching a horror movie?' my dad says. "'Make sure to use your headphones. "'I don't want to hear any zombie screams "'while we're trying to learn about the historical context "'of the Voting Rights Act.'" "'It was one time, Dad, and they weren't zombies. "'They were vampires, and it was a really pivotal scene.'" He laughs, clicking play on the TV. "'My parents like to give me hell about how much TV I watch, "'but I always want to ask them, "'where do they think I got it from?' I shut the door behind me. From my windows, I can just barely see hints of the last light peeking over the mountains, the moon hanging in the sky like a shadow. Somewhere, not that far away, Elm Jake is messaging me from beneath the same sky. I sink into bed and open the Reddit app, Elm's words staring back at me. What in the world can I possibly say? If I tell him the truth, it will make me, a person he's going to be working with every day now, look nuts. He'll tell sideways, and my position as the crew will weirdo will be instantly cemented. I jump. There's another message. Elm Street Nightmare 84. I can see you're on. I'm like the ghost that lives on your screen now. Elm Street Nightmare eighty four. Sorry, that was supposed to be funny. That was supposed to be funny, but now it just sounds creepy. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Creepy like bad creepy. Not good horror movie creepy. Elm Street Nightmare 84. I'm digging myself deeper now, aren't I? I can't watch him struggle anymore. Carrie's Revenge oh one. one LOL, don't worry. You're only ever the good kind of creepy. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Aw, how sweet. How was your day? Carrie's Revenge one Pretty good, but busy. Learned a lot. Not a lie. Carrie's Revenge O-1. Talked about horror movies. Also not a lie. Carrie's Revenge O-1. Nightmare on Elm Street, actually. Not a lie number three. I'm on a roll here. Carrie's Revenge O-1. How was yours? The tiny dots appear, showing that he's typing, but then they stop. After a moment, they start up again, and it hits me. I already liked Delm, everything about him, from our chatty banter to his adorable photo. But now that I've seen him in real life, now that I've met Jake, awkwardly awesome dad joke, dad joke Jake. Now that he's held my hand, helped me get through my first zip line experience, I really like him. I like him a lot. Another thought strikes me. Is it possible he likes me too? Was there something there when he held me by the arm, calming me down, when his hand laced through mine, leading me to the edge of the cliff? Could he grow to like Olivia as much as he likes Carrie? The dots pick up again, and I want so badly for him to mention me, Olivia, the new girl he met at work, wanting a hint, even so tiny, that he felt some kind of spark, too. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Day was good. Nothing crazy. Just same old, same old at work. Tell me about your screenplay. The words hit me, same old, same old. You couldn't find a way to make it sound more unremarkable if you tried. I shake my head. This is silly. Elm is my internet friend. Nothing more. I have to act normal, not like a weirdo who doesn't know how to go about living a double life because she never meant to. What would Carrie say, if she hadn't just met Jake in real life? Carrie's Revenge 01. Screenplay is in its nascent stages still. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Like when the alien from Alien is just a pod thing before it invades your body and stuff? I laugh. The truth is, it's not even a pod, not yet. It's a pre-pod. Carrie's Revenge 1. You could say that, yes. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Okay, so describe it in pod in pod form then. Carrie's Revenge 1. I don't know. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Genre of horror for starters. Carrie's Revenge 01. The Halloween director said horror is a reaction, not a genre. Elm Street Nightmare 84. And Hitchcock said you can only have suspense if the audience can see the bomb ticking beneath the table. You have to tell me what's going on. I need to know something. I smile to myself. Hitchcock did say that, in a cool speech about the difference between surprise and suspense. Surprise is when you're watching two characters talking, and a bomb goes off out of nowhere. Suspense is when you see them talking, and you, the audience, know the bomb is right there, because you saw the villain plant it. It's a tough balance. Mysteries only work if you don't know what's going on, but suspense only happens when you do. The best directors play with both. I pause. Until now, I've never shared the details of my screenplay with anyone, apart from the NYU application board. I was too damn scared. But the way I felt today, taking a risk, I don't know. It felt good. Besides, meeting Jake in real life, I know it for sure. Even if it's a stupid idea, he won't judge me for it. He'll just laugh about it. Carrie's Revenge Oh, one. All Alright, it's not really a genre, per se. It's kind of a mix of a bunch of them, like Cabin in the Woods, I guess. Only not so many references, because CITW does it all, right? This is kind of the same idea, but with a less is more approach. Elm Street Nightmare 84, so like playing off cliches? Carrie's Revenge one Yeah, it's tentatively called the Bad Decision Handbook. It's a play on the bad decisions people make in horror movies, you know, splitting up to look for the killer, going into an abandoned house alone, not calling the cops until it's too late. But the twist is, the person who's terrorizing them, he's a horror director himself, and he's using these people trapped in a cabin or whatever to make his movie. Once they figure it out, they have to use their knowledge of movies and stuff to outsmart him, which includes making some intentionally bad decisions to throw him off. Carrie's Revenge O1. So it's like poking fun at horror movie tropes, only the characters are the ones in charge. There's something nice about laying it all out there, seeing how it looks typed out. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Wow, that's a lot. I freeze. Maybe I was wrong about him. Maybe, on the other side of the screen, he's looking at my messages like Miss Sinclair looked when I messed up my audition. Carries Revenge O1. I know, it's kind of overcomplicated. Carries Revenge O1. There are a lot of kinks to be worked out, of course. It's just an idea, probably not even a very good one. Elm Street Nightmare 84. No, 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 I mean that's a lot like you've got so much to go on already. I guess I thought, I don't know why, because you're amazing, but I thought it would be simpler, kind of like a starter movie. Carries Revenge O1. It probably should be simpler, lol. Elm Street Nightmare 84. No, it should be exactly how it is. A, prif- a prick of excitement in the tips of my fingers. A feeling of flying again. Carrie's Revenge one Thanks for being my sounding board. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Anytime. It sounds amazing. Send it to me when you're done. I want to be the first to read it. Carrie's Revenge one Oh, if I ever actually finish the damn thing, believe me, I will. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Promise? Carrie's Revenge one It's a deal. Elm Street Nightmare 84. Awesome. I can't wait. I'm a huge fan of horror, obviously. And what's more, I'm a pro at bad decisions. Winky face. Instantly, I think of my stupid mistake. My very own bad decision. Sending that photo. I could tell him. I could tell him right now. Only I don't want to lose Elm. Or Jake. It's only for- For a summer, i tell myself, despite the connection I felt today, the likelihood that it will turn into anything is practically nil. So online, I'll be Carrie, horror-loving, screenplay-writing Carrie, and in person, I'll be Olivia. It's a clunky solution, but it's the only way to move forward without disappointing both Elm and Jake. The words come easily, almost too easily. Carrie's Revenge O-1, I'm a pro at bad decisions too. Carrie vs. Olivia. I woke up newly inspired- Wake? Wake. I wake up newly inspired the next morning. It's not even 9, and my shift doesn't start until 11, so I have at least an hour to write. I may have stayed up a little too late talking to Elm, but it doesn't matter. I'm inspired. Elm Jake liked the idea of my screenplay. He liked it a lot. And even more than that, I proved to myself that I didn't have to be scared anymore. I- I faced a fear, even if it was a relatively small one, and beat it down. Maybe I can do this, too. My parents are out on their morning walk, and I grab a banana and return to my room, opening my laptop and sitting cross-legged on top of the covers. My desk, the old walnut one we picked up one Saturday at the Brooklyn Flea, lives in Brooklyn, not here. I could sit at the kitchen counter, but I'd rather not have my parents peeking over my shoulder, salivating at every productive word as soon as they get back. My phone buzzes, but this time, it's not from Elle. It's the group text, the one that Fatima, that Fatima started, so the French ladies can keep in touch over the summer. Eloise has sent has just sent a photo of herself doing yoga in front of a sunrise in Vermont. Katie responds right away with a selfie of her sipping some sort of sugary drink on a cobblestone street. Looks like Soho. I could add my own, show them how I'm working on the screenplay, only I don't want to jinx it. Instead, I dash off a response— "'Gorgeous, ladies. Keep the snaps coming.' Then put my phone aside. On my laptop, I find a Stephen King quote that feels particularly apt, then scribble it on a post-it. Amateurs sit and wait for inspiration. The rest of us just get up and go to work. I stick it to the top of my laptop, but it flutters off. I turn around, tacking it to the space above my headboard instead. Only problem is, I can't see it now. It's behind me. I scrunch up my lips. My eyes flit to my laptop, the cursor blinking at me impatiently. Quickly, I head to my dad's office, where he works remotely when we're here. I grab a few sheets of computer paper and one of the Sharpies that poke out from a world's best dad cup I made him at one of those pottery studios when I was a kid. I head back to my room and write the quote out in my best handwriting. It takes a couple of tries before I get the spacing right. If I paste it to the wall next to my window, I'll be able to see it perfectly from my bed. And Lord knows, these are words I need to see. Except I don't have tape. I head to the kitchen just as my parents are coming back in. Morning, my mom says. If we'd known you were up, we would have asked you to join us on our walk. No worries, I say, pulling open the drawer in the kitchen island. Did you get breakfast? My dad asks. A banana. A banana. Want me to make you something? The man is a scrambled eggs guru. I'm back to work this week, but my first conference call isn't until ten. I'm okay, Dad, I say, digging through the drawer. I'll have some cereal before my shift. Are you going to pack a sandwich or something, since it's longer today? He asks. It's the Iowa in him, this anxiety over when we're going to eat next. My grandmother feeds us these huge meals three times a day. Mornings begin with some sort of meat sizzling against cast iron. What are you looking for? My mom asks. Tape. For what? I shrug to hang something on my wall. She leans over me, shuffling through the drawer herself, and pulls out these 3M hanging tabs. No, it's just a small thing, like a sheet of paper. Oh? A quote, I say casually, that I find inspiring. She smiles, and I know she wants to ask me more, but she doesn't. I think it's in Dad's office. Tape procured, I head back to my room. It's already 9.15. I've lost time for writing, time I should have taken advantage of if I'd been following the very quote that sits, waiting to be tacked up on my, that sits, waiting to be tacked up on my bed, but it's all good. Quickly, I tape the quote to my wall, then head back to my bed and open my laptop. I still have 45 minutes before I have to start getting ready and pack my lunch. I stare at the blank page, but the words won't come. The cursor blinks at me, my very own demon. I grab my phone and tap out of, out of the ch- text chain and into Reddit. I start a new chat to Elm. Carrie's Revenge one Real talk. I think I'm going to write a screenplay about a writer who can't write to save her life. Literally. I wait, staring at the phone as 930 approaches. He writes back almost right away. Elm Street Nightmare 84, I'm pretty sure that's already been done by Stephen King. Elm Street Nightmare 84, like multiple times over. Carrie's Revenge one oh, there was a winky face at the end of Elm's message. <clears throat> Carrie's Revenge o- one great, even my jokes are unoriginal. Elm Street Nightmare 84, aw, don't worry, I've never written anything like that in my life. My two-page creative writing essay was teeth pulling all the way. The screenplay is no joke. But hey, that's what the program's for, right? To help you do it? The ache, that ache in my gut again, pressing as a ghost, lurking in the shadows, messing with doorknobs. I hate that I've lied to him. Not once, but twice. But if I fess up and tell him I'm not at the program, he'll want to know what I'm doing. Obviously, I can't tell him that. I'll have to make up another excuse. Because if he knows I'm in his proximity, he might want to meet up. No, he'll definitely want to meet. And then he'll know that Carrie is Olivia. I'm split in two, like the supervillain in Split. The M. Night Shyamalan? Shyamalan? Uh, movie I actually liked. Only that guy was split in 24. Wait a damn minute. That movie? No! We don't talk about Split. Well, we're being forced to, but... Instead, I'm Carrie, a girl who hasn't been honest about where she is and what she's doing. And Olivia, a girl who told Jake that she doesn't even like horror movies. But that's what I've decided. Because the other alternative, disappointing Jake, I don't like at all. I stare at the screen. I need to say something. He types first. Elm Street Nightmare 84. I know it's scary, but I know you can do this. I feel it, like I did yesterday. The warmth of his encouragement deep in my gut. Carrie's Revenge 01. Thanks. Okay, signing off to get back to it. I return to my Google Doc. I know I can do this, so long as I stop getting in my own way. After all, yesterday, I jumped headfirst into the great unknown, just like that. I pause, because I kind of like that line. I'm not sure where it goes, how it fits, but I know I like it. I hit the return key a few times, making space on the page, and for the first time in ages, I write cliffhanger? Ooh, (laughs) Didn't expect to end on like a pseudo cliffhanger, but that's sort of fun that I did. So that is the end of this episode. I could record more tonight, but do I really want to? We'll see how it pans out. Who cares? This episode is done. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, I've written out a tentative outro that I want to start trying to do every episode and see how it runs. But before I do that, there's some like closing housekeeping that I've got to do. So I forgot to mention this last episode... But I finally figured out how to put the Instagram account into the link tree, so the link tree will now be in the description of each episode so that you can go check that out and also check out the alternative sources for listening to the podcast. So, had to make that little announcement, which will be mentioned in the outro that I wrote up for the end of each episode, which... It's always awkward to transition into an outro, but, you know. It would be it would be so much better if I could do, like, the friggin' audio editing where they just put, like, a tiny music clip and then it goes to the outro where it's, like, credits and shit, you know. But thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode- No. No, I'm not gonna do that yet, actually. That can wait until next episode, because I have to start doing the friggin'- rate, review, and subscribe stuff, like, have to start, like, if I want a more structured outro, I gotta start saying that, but I can't handle that tonight. I don't want to start doing that tonight, so I'm not. That will be, I'm gonna start doing the outro stuff the next episode. Instead, we'll stick with our common phrase, drink water and fuck bitches. See? Can't wait to vibe with you next time. Peace out.